Good morning, Lydia House. It is a great morning. We've got rain. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. We had rain at our house yesterday. We had rain this morning, and now they're even talking that we could get rain again tonight. So I am very excited because my lawn is very unhappy. <laughs> very unhappy. In fact, I think my lawn left me, so... So I'm very, very excited for the rain, as you can tell. Um, this morning, I'd like to read out of Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. I'm going to stop there just for a second, because I've never actually seen a palm tree. But from what I hear, um, they're straight up, tall, and the older they get, bigger their crown gets, which is interesting. Uh, they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Now, the cedars I'm a little more uh, acquainted with. We have a whole row of cedars in front of our house. Cedars um, smell great, but what they do is they keep bugs away. That's why people buy cedar chips instead of just buying wood chips, because wood chips actually attract bugs but cedar chips repel bugs. So it's interesting. They keep their enemies away that could kill them. Uh, they, uh, I'm going to start again so we get the whole gist of the trees. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. That's where we are. We're planted. We're not temporary sojourners but we are planted in this garden in the house of the Lord. Uh, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Um, that means we, we flourish in what the word says. We flourish in our going out and our coming in. They will still bear fruit in the old age. Yay! Right, yeah, 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 there we go. Okay, they will stay fresh and green. Well, maybe with a little help from Clarell. Uh, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this word, Lord, that you have made us like the palm and like the cedar, and that we are planted, Lord, in your house. We are planted in the house of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are are showing us where we walk in and out of your courts. And Lord, that we extol you and we give you glory and honor. We extol your righteousness. And yes, things go bad, as all of us can attest to this last year and a half especially. But Lord, we are yours. And we see that you have a plan beyond us. And we are praying for that good, good plan to go forth in strength and power and might. And it will never be turned aside in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, good morning, everybody. Everybody awake? 
Yeah, yeah me neither. A um, couple people are awake. That's good. That'll make up for us. Um, I'm a little tired. We went up north uh, for a few days this week to Lake Superior, which is my happy place. <laughs> so that was really fun. Um, we're all a little tired, a little post-hike, post-long drive. We got to uh, enjoy, though, uh, unbeknownst to us, but noticed to many others, was uh, we went to the Great Lakes Aquarium in Duluth, and there was a Christian concert festival happening right next door at the big pavilion, you know, that they have there, where Bentleyville is in the winter with the lights. Um, and so there were all these Christian bands, and so we got to listen to some free Christian music from the parking lot of the aquarium. It was pretty awesome. The kids have never been to a Christian concert. We were going to go a couple years ago uh, to the KTAS one in Blaine, yeah. right by our house. Uh, and then, you know, COVID. And then this year again. And so that was pretty fun. Wasn't it pretty fun? Yay. They're also tired, so they're less exuberant. Um, so praise God for that. Praise God for unexpected funness. Praise God for expected funness. Praise God for the rain. As happy as we are about our lawns and gardens, I know the farmers are weeping for joy right now. It, I mean, this might make the difference for a lot of them. They were right on the edge. So praise God for that. Welcome to everybody joining us online or on public access TV around the Twin Cities or on YouTube or in the future. How's it going? Uh, we're, probably, we're praying it's going well for you in the future. Um, there's an email sign-up sheet back there by the offering box on that little, little ledge. So if, if we don't have your email address and you don't get emails from us, go ahead and put your email address down there. Uh, the offering box, of course, is optional for those who want to give tithes and offerings, but we certainly do appreciate them. They keep the lights on in this place. And this coming Saturday, Paul Anderson and probably Naomi, too, will be walking the neighborhood uh, here around the barn, letting people know, hey, there's a new church at the barn come check it out so if you would like to join paul in that he likes to take people with him uh so maybe that's something you would like to do maybe it's something you've done in the past maybe it's something you've never ever done and it's the last thing on earth you would like to try then maybe really do it uh it, it, it would be really good we can call it barnstorming barnstorming and you don't have to wear like the mormons do you know what the you don't have to wear a good shirt and a name tag. Nope. Might be two by two, or it might be groups of three or four. You you won't be. It's it's not a bait and switch Amway meeting thing where you show up and then you get kicked off by yourself to do something you don't want to do or buy something you don't want to buy. Uh, Paul will go with you, and you can just watch how he does it, and you can pray for him while he talks to folks, and it could be a good thing. But it's good to talk and pray for our neighbors. Amen. We don't know their concerns and their difficulties and their struggles until we get to know them, and we find out what it is we can pray for and what it is we can do as a community to help our new community here. So that would be a great thing. Tomorrow, I mean not tomorrow, <laughs> next Saturday uh, at 10.30, please call Paul and let him know that you want to come so that he is mentally prepared for your presence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> otherwise he'll be scared, I guess. Um, also, uh, next Sunday will be our monthly 1 Corinthians 14.26 service. Uh, most of you have been to one of those by now, and so next Sunday, instead of having a regular prepared sermon kind of message, we're all going to share something. Um, could be a testimony, could be a word, a devotional thought, a song, uh, could be an update, could be a prayer request on, hey, my neighbor's struggling with this, I'm trying to pray for him, I don't know how to connect, can you pray for me? Awesome. We'd like to join you and come alongside you. So next week, community service, so please prepare for that in some way. I, I encourage you to pray and say, okay, God, is there anything you want me to share or do uh, next Sunday during the service? 
And you can meditate on 1 Corinthians 14, 26 if you want. But when, when you come together, Paul says, let everyone bring a song or a hymn or a spiritual song or a word of encouragement or a prophetic word, maybe. And so we like to do that at least once a month where we give opportunity for each other and the Holy Spirit. So please come next Sunday planning to do that. And it's always a great time. We've never had to be like, all right, please somebody else share. Uh, it's usually like, okay, we got to cut the video for time, and there's still more people who want to share. So, so it's it's a wonderful thing. We're we're blessed to have that. Yeah, we'll talk about that later too. All right, let's pray and prepare our hearts for worship. Uh, actually, before we do that, I do want to announce um, Chris Alex. Uh, he shared couple weeks ago about his father being in hospice now. Uh, Chris's father, Gus, passed away uh, several days ago. And so he has gone home to be with the Lord. Yeah. And so Chris and the family is there celebrating uh, Gus's home going. And so we can pray for them and the family. As you know, even, even when we have the blessed hope of knowing where someone is going, it's still a difficult transition. Not for Gus, he's good. Uh, it's a difficult transition for the rest of us, right? And so we want to pray for Chris and his family um, and for Grace during this time. So let's, let's just do that. Father, we pray for Chris and Kathy and all the kids. We pray for Chris's siblings as well. And we pray that you would just bless them, that you would give them an abundance of your grace during this season, Lord. It says in your word that you mourn with those who mourn. And you take that very seriously. And so we ask that during their times of mourning, you would be with them and comfort them and mourn with them. And during the other times, you would be with them and remind them of all the wonderful memories that they have. Remind them of the blessed hope that they have, that they will see him again before too long. And I pray for your grace, particularly in the interactions and relationships, planning memorials and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it can be very, very stressful and draining, and often, often our emotions come out in those times. And that's natural, but I do pray that you protect them, help them to be quick to forgive one another um, when they maybe lash out, or when harsh words are spoken that aren't really meant, and allow grace to cover over all of those situations in that time. And we thank you very much for Gus and his life, and we look forward to seeing him in heaven. And let's, let's take just a moment now to confess silently before the Lord anything that we have done over this past week that we haven't confessed, anything we may be left undone. Let's bring that before the Lord now. And we receive your forgiveness, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we ask you to heal those of us here in this place and the ones we love in other places that need your physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing. Pray for myself. Um, pray for my dad, Steve, here, who's still in the recovery process from what he went through. Pray for Naomi. And we will continue to pray for her. Thank you that she weathered the seizure she had yesterday like a champ. And we pray that that, that would no longer be necessary because you would heal her, Lord God. Pray for 
Carrie, our friend who is uh, suffering incarceration right now, that you would bless her and that uh, you'd heal her heart and whatever else might be ailing her. If there's any cause or root there, we pray for that to be healed and repaired in Jesus' name. And any of us else here who have physical needs, mental, emotional needs, we pray for your healing, your restoration. And we pray against any, any thought that would say, well, God's not going to heal me, or he's not going to heal that person, or I already prayed for 10 years, it's not going to happen. We rebuke those doubts. We rebuke that lack of faith in Jesus' name, and we open ourselves up to you and your incredible power. So if you need healing, or if someone else needs healing, why don't you just hold out your hands like you're going to receive a gift from the Lord. Be healed in Jesus' name. And let's prepare our hearts for worship now by trying to set aside everything else. Everything in our heads, everything in our hearts, the good and even the bad, set them down, stick them under your chair for a little bit. Focus, mental focus is one of the most important aspects of both worship and uh, scripture reading and understanding. The more focused we are, the more we're going to get. Amen. So, Lord, help us focus. We admit that we are very distractible people. And so, Lord, we pray that in our weakness you would be strong and that you would help us. And we can set everything aside now and focus on you and worship you for who you are with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whether we know the songs or not, like the songs or not, that's not what it's about. It's about you. So we dedicate this time to you. We welcome you here this morning, Father God. We welcome you here, Jesus. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. And we declare that you have free reign here to do in our hearts whatever you need to do. And so we give ourselves over to that. We choose to open ourselves up to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And picked mostly older songs this morning for whatever reason. So I think a lot of us will know them. Rich in love and your soul to reign. 
us Holy Spirit to worship the Lord in any season no matter what it is that's going on in our life that we can bless your name let the king of my heart be the mountain where I fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, good, oh, you are
whether you believe it or not. Never gonna let, never gonna let me down. Never gonna let, never gonna let me down. One more time. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You are good. Good. this morning, whether we are seeing your goodness today or whether we're blinded from it or distracted from it, we declare it. You are good this morning. What else is the Lord? Let's declare some more things about what he is, who he is. He is faithful. Amen. about one from a child what is the Lord this morning putting you on the spot <laughs> pick one there's a lot of things I know it's hard to choose strong strong he is strong we thank you God that you are all these things and so many more we thank you that you are good. And not only are you good in the like big picture objective sense, but you're also a good God to us. You're a good father. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are our good father and we are your children. And I pray that that truth would sink down deep, deep, deep inside us more and more every month that we walk with you, every year that we walk with you. That as Paul says, the most important thing is that we can be rooted and grounded in the love of God. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to step into that that we choose to continue. Continue to walk not only with you, but towards you. And remember that the most important thing about us is that we are your beloved child. Well, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. 
see many searching for answers far and wide but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word you're good good father to you are to you are to you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i am you are perfect you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways Sing that one more time. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Love so undeniable. I, I can hardly speak. As you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still into love, 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 you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am. Who I am, it's who I am, your good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, your good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Thank you, Lord, that. We are loved by you. We thank you that out of your kindness, you won't stand for us putting anything bigger than you in our life, that you won't allow us to get away with putting any other idols up on that shelf. 
you want to be up there all by yourself. And we confess those times where we allow something or some belief or some situation to go up on that shelf near you. We, we confess those idols that we make, those idols that we listen to, maybe without even fully realizing it. Pray that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, if there is anything in our life that we need to set down or anything that we need to smash, Lord. We want you to be all we need. We want you to be the most important thing in our hearts. And we invite you to shine a light in there this morning for us to see if there's anything that is getting in the way of you, anything that's distracting us from running straight into your arms. And give us the courage to leave that behind as we pursue you like you continue to pursue us. Thank you that one day in heaven, where Gus is now and many of our other loved ones, that we'll be able to stay in your presence all the time and worship you for as long as we want and that these distractions will fade away. Lord, I ask that you would allow us to do that here on earth for just a little bit now. That we can join the angels and the elders in the eternal songs that are sung before your throne. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs and even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere. I encourage you to just focus in on the Lord now. Don't worry about anything else in your life. Don't worry about anything else in this room. Just reach out with your spirit and worship Him for who He is. One thing I ask and I would seek to see your beauty. To find you in 
tasted and I've seen come once again to me I will draw near to you I will draw near to you better is one day in your courts better is one day in your house better is one day in your courts thousands elsewhere Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. with you better is one day better is one day better is one day with you better is one day better is one day better is one day with you better is one day better is one Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. My heart and flesh cry out. For you, the living God, your spirit's water for my soul. I've tasted and I've seen, come once again to me. 
I will draw near to you. I will draw near to you. And we fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. Here's the feet of Jesus, the greatness of his mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry. choose now to kneel down in our hearts and place everything before Jesus. If you want to do that physically, if you just want to do it in your heart, but I want you to bow down and give him everything that you have, everything that you are. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry. anyone have a word from the Lord they feel is for the group?
just thankful that the ratio is the opposite and the one day is better than a thousand elsewhere that we get to spend like one day elsewhere and more than a thousand years in his courts. That is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve that, but we receive it. I just felt as we were singing, it was um, moving to picture, try to picture the holiness of God. And I think that's an impossible thing for us to do, to picture the holiness of God. We cry holy. And I um, was moved realizing that Yes, the, the brightness that I was picturing, the brightness, and how can we come near you, Father? Jesus, how can this be possible? And then I just had a smile on my face knowing <laughs> that we are his kids, and he's asked us to come near. It is not a frightening thing, but it's the warmth of his love that draws us. So thank you, Father. And you know, the enemy, the enemy loves to lie to us. He'll do anything he needs to do to try to keep us from approaching the throne of God, to keep us from approaching Jesus. And sometimes we ourselves hold back because we feel that unworthiness. We know that he's holy and we aren't. But like you said, the truth is we are righteous through Jesus Christ, through what he did, not because of what we did. And so now because of Jesus, we are worthy to approach God. We are worthy to step before that throne of grace, it says in Hebrews, with boldness, it says. Therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness. So, Father, we confess those times where we've listened to the lies that said, we can't approach you, we're not good enough, we had a bad week, so we're just going to stay away from you, keep you at a distance, keep you at arm's length. We repent of that, Lord God. Help us to walk into the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Help us to walk into the truth that we are now fully righteous because of him that you have placed us in Christ, not because of something we deserve, but because of something you did for us. And as an act of your sovereignty, you chose to forgive us and to wipe us clean and to make us a new creature. And so, Lord, we confess of those times where we've held back from that new identity that you've given us as a child of God. Help us, Lord. Remind us to walk into that identity to walk towards you, to not hold back. And if there's something that we did, some sin, that we can confess that, receive your forgiveness, and immediately step towards that throne of grace and get it. We confess of the times we're too timid or too lazy. We ask that you would help us with that we would continue walking towards you and not let anything hinder us. And I pray that you'd help open our spiritual eyes to those around us who we maybe see 
being unwilling to approach you because of something they've done, because of their past, because of their weaknesses, because of their lack of skill or gifts or whatever it is, and that we can share your truth with them, Lord Jesus, that all of that is already taken care of because of the cross. Anyone else have anything to share? Can I say something? Sure. Tech, do it. There's a mic in front of you. Do you oh, mind? Right I, I don't know what this means, but like as you were praying, I just kept imagining like a sword and a crown. I don't know what that means. I just felt like I had to share that. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are two of my favorite images. Wow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> awesome. Lord, I'm going to switch mics here. Lord, we uh, receive that. We thank you that you've given each of us a crown because you have made us your children. You've adopted us into your family. And as an heir of Jesus Christ and an heir of your kingdom, we are all princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And we confess of the times that we have not walked into that identity in the way that you desire us to. We confess of that Minnesota nice timidity thing that says, oh, no, I, I, that's not me. That's, I am too humble for that. We confess when we have called ourselves not when you have said we are. And so help us, Lord, to step into that crown that you have for us and then help us to lay it back down at your feet every day. And we thank you, too, for the sword of the Spirit, the word of God that you have given us. Yes. We thank you that you speak to your children. You didn't wind up a clock and then walk away, let it run on its own. You are living and active in our lives day to day, and we praise you for that. And we pray that you would open up your word to us this morning. We ask you for a spirit of revelation. We thank you that, Jesus, you promised us that the Holy Spirit, when the Father sent him, would remind us of everything you said and lead us into all truth. And we ask you to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. We're going to try to finish that chapter today. I give you no promises. We'll see how it goes. As you're turning to Luke 7... Um, I want to give a quick update on Harvest Water Africa and our work in Uganda. Um, I meant to bring some slides. I'll bring some another time. But the UN is declaring it you know, a disaster zone. There's currently 23 million people um, in the imminent threat of starvation level, uh, meaning they don't have enough food for today. And there's no prospect of food for tomorrow. 23 million is a lot of people to be starving to death. So we have somewhat pivoted. Normally we, uh, at Harvest Water Africa, which is our mission to East Africa, normally we focus on wells for clean water and sanitation and irrigation for farming. So water and farming is normally what we focus on. Uh, during the pandemic and lockdown, we've pivoted a lot of those normal funds towards just keeping people alive. Because farms don't do any good if you already died of starvation, right? Um, and so we are still doing wells. We are still doing farms. Um, 
Pastor Dowson, our, our contact and our partner there in Uganda, um, has started a, a training school for farming, and he brings in youths. Um, so far, it's just uh, young men, but they're going to expand eventually when they have enough female staff. Um, and it's like a three-month program where they come in and they learn how to farm. And then they send them back with enough stuff to plant a farm. Um, we, we've planted, you know, 280 farms now around southern Uganda, banana farms, uh, which is amazing. And what they've found is that it's really helpful if at least one person in, like, the region kind of knows what they're doing <laughs> a little bit. Because although bananas do grow well if you give them enough water, um, problems arise, right? And so it's a lot easier for Pastor Dowson to train others to do that work than for him to drive around and troubleshoot. That just makes sense, right? So he is training up disciples, basically, to go out and do that. And the first couple weeks of that three-month course are literal discipleship. <laughs> In case they don't have faith yet, he's teaching them about Jesus and leading them to Jesus. Um, and so there were, I think, six youths in this first class, and then in another month or so, he's going to start another one. He's hoping for 20. Um, so that's, that's more the long-term stuff, but there's also short-term stuff. Uh, we bought 10 tons of food um, over the last month and a half. Uh, the lockdown there is really severe, and it's poor. I don't want to get political. It's very poorly managed. Um, they, they don't let poor people leave their houses. And when you don't have food, that's problematic, right? And they're not compensating for that by delivering food. Um, so we got enough money to Pastor Dowson so that he could show up to the port and buy the food be all, before all the food scalpers bought it. Because people go in and they buy food, and then they jack up the price and sell it to starving people who will pay whatever they need to. Um, so we got 10 tons of food. We're getting more uh, this week. And he's been distributing it to hundreds of families, um, families that are walking a day in the hot sun to get that food. And when they come, they, they see the largest private farm in Uganda. And they see everything God is doing. It looks like a Garden of Eden to them, because most of them have the mentality that food doesn't grow here. They have that mentality. You have, you have to understand, when the British colonized, they came in with a very superior attitude and said, we know what we're doing, you don't, so let us take care of you, you poor, poor savages. Right? There's some well intent back there somewhere, but it's also like super superiority complex, right? And so what happened was no discipleship happened, so you had generations that learned nothing. And then you had warlords come in right after the British left, said, we're going to leave you, now you can run your own kingdom. And as soon as that happened, warlords came in. They killed the adults, they stole the children, turned them into child soldiers, etc., etc. It wasn't a wonderful place to be. Uh, Uganda, Sudan, a lot of similar stuff there. And so now that the refugee camps have broken up, they put them in refugee camps for 20 years. The problem with that is there's also very little teaching that happens, and you just stand in line for food, you stand in line for this, you stand in line for that, and it's, given, it's all given to you and then you don't learn how to do for yourself. And so then they're released back into the wild, so to speak. Go reclaim your family land, farm, do whatever you want. Okay, but we don't know how to do any of that. My dad was dead. He didn't teach me how to farm. And so here I am back on my land. Well, it was all burned, or it hasn't been taken care of, or it was, it's now run by somebody else who I can't kick off. And so it's very problematic. The, uh, the tribal way of life in northern Uganda is in danger of ending. And this is, we're talking about tribes that have existed since like Solomon, okay? 
tribes and heritage and languages that are thousands and thousands of years old that might not survive like their generation because that way of life is just going because there's nothing they can do. And so we are doing our best <laughs> to try to help out. Um, we could use your prayers and your money and your friend's money. And when you talk to folks who are like, ah, I'd like to help these other places in the world who have it so much worse off than us, you could say, hey, I know some folks who are helping in Uganda and it's making a huge difference. Because um, there's no overhead. I don't take a salary for this. This is pro bono. Uh, Dowson doesn't take any of the money we send. That money goes directly to doing the stuff. And it's not a white person coming to do the stuff for you thing. They don't even know white people are providing the finances because it all goes through Dowson, who's Ugandan. He hires Ugandans to do the work for Ugandans, which is the way it has to be long term. Isaiah. Is there a Facebook fund um, page or a link that we can post on our Facebook? Um, HarvestWaterAfrica.org is the website. Um, someone is in the process of setting up like a, a, a GoFundMe type thing for us. Um, I don't know if that's finished yet. They were running into some issues. Uh, but I can let you know about that uh, when that happens as well. All donations go through us, so they're you know, tax deductible and all that. Um, so please pray. Pray for Pastor Dowson. I mean, he's got a big family. His, uh, he's now like the oldest child, so he's kind of in charge of all his many, many siblings, as well as all his own kids. One of his kids just graduated from uh, college. And so he's a busy guy, but he spends most of his time helping the poor because that's what's really necessary. And it's an incredible witness to the Muslims there. It's mostly Muslim in that area. So they're seeing that this Jesus that we talk about is the one who's actually helping their lives. He, Jesus is the one who is making sure their kids survive. So that's, you know, that's a powerful witness. Amen? So that's a little update on what's going on. Next time I'll try to bring videos or something like that. You can, you, you can look on the harvestwaterafrica.org we, uh, webpage and there's videos there or you can go to Pastor Dowson's Facebook and he posts videos pretty regularly. We often post links to them um, and so you can see him on the website. But he likes showing off the farm and showing off how things grow. And it's amazing. Every time Ugandans come there, they cannot believe what's happening. It's like a Garden of Eden in the middle of the desert. It's, it's a pretty awesome testimony. Um, and so we're trying to transplant mini gardens <laughs> all, over, all over the country. So please pray for that. Um, actually, could, could a, couple, a person or two just pray for uh, Pastor Dowson and, and the Ugandan work? You can grab a mic. Chris, thank you. Just thank you so much for uh, painting such a vivid picture and your passion there. And I just, um, I remember talk of this before, but I really think, I guess the question is, when are you going? Please, um, we'll pray for your timing to go because then I tried to go two it'll years be ago literally, yeah. So we're praying for that. I think. Thank you. I would uh, like to go, yeah. you know, as soon as I can. I was going to go two years ago. Yeah. And like I was going to go right after COVID hit, basically. Right. And then I was going to go this year, and that's, you know, most likely not going to, they're not letting anyone into the country. Okay. You know, right now. The so. timing. We'll pray um, for that. So yeah, we're praying for timing. I already have, you know, one of our donors has already said, I will buy your ticket mm. as soon as you can go which is a wonderful thing because those are not cheap tickets. Uh, and so we're just praying on timing. So thank you, Chris. Anybody else feel led to pray? Puts things in perspective, right? You know, it's, it's, it hasn't been easy here. 
the last year and a half, two years or so, you know. Uh, but we are really blessed and really fortunate. And so every time I don't want to put on a mask when I go in a store or whatever it is, uh, I remind myself that I have food. A simple thing like that. There's something in my pantry. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Paul, please. I'm just going to pray. Please pray. Father, we just thank you um, for the people of Uganda. We thank you for this relationship. We thank you for Nate's dedication to it. And we ask you even now, Father, for the nation of Uganda just to receive you as their king, these people to continue that uh, this pastor is discipling, that they would... Um, eat not only of the bread that he's providing, but of the bread of heaven. We ask you, Father, for the inheritance that you are waiting for, the people of Uganda, that they would be the answer to your prayer, Father, that these people would submit to you as their king, even now, God, and that this ministry would continue to serve as an example of your love for them, God, that you really are the Garden of Eden they're waiting for. We thank you for the provisions of this side of the eternity, but we ask you even now as we sung, Father, as Sarah talked about, that better is one day in your court. So we ask you, Father, even now we ask you in your kindness that you would give them grace to enter into your courts, to enter into a thousand years of glory with your son Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the gift of Uganda that we have an opportunity to serve the poor, Father, that we have an opportunity to answer the call to serve the poor. And we thank you for the blessings that you've given us in this country. And we ask you, Father, for grace and wisdom to serve these people in love and humility and meekness. And just pour it out, God. We ask you to open the doors for Nate to go to this people and be a witness of the salvation of Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You are the keeper of salvation, Father. So we ask you that you would open the door for Nate to go and serve and be a witness of who you are as their good father, as the king of glory who came 2,000 years ago and who's coming again. We ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, all right, Luke 7. Uh, a few weeks ago now, we did this first passage. I'm going to start with verse 11, and we're going to do this next section. But before that, I want to give a quick history lesson. And you know my love of history, so I will really try to keep this quick. So eight centuries before this story, eight centuries, that's a lot of centuries. Eight centuries is a long time. There was a man named Elisha. Do you remember him? Elisha, he's a prophet of God who followed after Elijah. He famously asked for twice the anointing that Elijah had, and God said, that's awesome. Yes, great, great ask. And so Elijah went around Israel doing powerful ministry, powerful prophetic ministry, and powerful healings and miracles and all this kind of stuff. His home base was Mount Carmel, which sounds delicious. And uh, about a long day's journey from Mount Carmel, there was a town, a village really, called Shunem, which I'm not pronouncing correctly, but I'm going to do it anyway. Shunem. And in Shunem, there was a couple. 
And when Elijah would travel around the country, he'd leave Mount Carmel, and it was the end of a long day's walk to end up in Shunem. So it worked out really well to stay there. And he stayed with this couple, and he stayed with them again and again. And eventually they, they became friends, and the couple actually put an addition onto their house as a guest room for Elijah when he came to town, which I think is super awesome. And so this relationship built throughout Elisha's ministry, and eventually the couple who was barren um, made that barrenness known uh, to Elisha, and he prophesied over them, and he said, you will conceive and bear a son. And what wonderful news, right? Uh, and wouldn't you know, next spring they had a baby boy. So, so wonderful, so amazing. We see that a number of times in scripture, um, and it's a really great thing. So, a few years pass, and the boy gets sick, and the boy dies. Uh, it doesn't say how old he is, but he's, he's not old. And uh, the mother's holding the, the little boy, and he dies in her arms. And she doesn't react the way a Hebrew of that time is supposed to react. There are very specific rituals for the dead and ways you're supposed to treat a dead body. And she doesn't do that. Instead, she goes and puts the child on Elisha's bed in her house, and she heads outside and starts saddling up the donkey, or whatever they used for a saddle back then. I really have no idea. Um, and her husband comes out, sees the commotion. He's like, eh, what's going on? And she says, all is well. Help me with the donkey. Uh, that sounds like faith to me. Anybody else? Yeah. Sounds a lot like the story at the beginning of Luke of the Roman centurion. So she says, all is well. She gets on the donkey. She does a 20-mile donkey ride, probably till the middle of the night. And she shows up. And she's like, Elisha, I need to see you. And the servant comes out and says, he can't see you. And it's a long story. And it's very kind of odd because Elisha is super reluctant to even see her or even talk to her. And it's like, what's going on, man? And finally he says, what's going on is the Lord has told me nothing about this. I, I, I have not foreseen this. I'm asking him now and he's saying nothing. So I don't know what to do. And she's like, okay, I'll tell you what to do. You come back with me right now and you heal my boy and raise him from the dead. That's what you do. And God has a soft spot for moms. Anybody notice that before in the Bible? Even his own, when he said, look, it's not my time to do miracles yet. She's like, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> do it anyway. And he does it. It's amazing. So, so I just like, all right, I'm not going to win. And, and he follows the woman back and goes to her house. And again, it's a long story, but he tries multiple times to raise this boy from the dead and it doesn't work. He sends his servant in once, then finally he goes in, he does all this stuff. Finally, he prays to God, and God does raise the boy from the dead and heal him from whatever it was who killed him in the first place, right? Some sort of disease or something. And he gives him to his mom, and it's a wonderful story. So there's some oddness in there, but it's rare to see God raise somebody from the dead in the Old Testament. It happens thrice. So this is a huge miracle, right? This is like a holy cow. God just raised somebody from the dead. And it's a wonderful thing. So now, fast forward 800 years, and the nearby city of Nain has sort of swallowed up that old Shunem neighborhood, being eight centuries ago and all that. Um, but I would think that if I grew up in Nain and that super famous miracle had happened nearby, I would be aware of it. And I would think I would be super proud of it. And I think we would probably write songs about it and put it on a flag and have like a tourism thing to go and see where Elijah healed it. They did that kind of stuff back then, just like we do, right? Um, it was right next to the main road of town. 
the trunk highway. And so everybody in Maine, I think, would have known about this miracle. I'm, I'm sure of it. And so Jesus shows up to town. So that's the backstory that they all would have been familiar with, and now so are you. And here's what happens. Luke 7, 11. Soon afterwards, this is soon after he uh, remotely healed the servant of the centurion. Soon after he, that's Jesus, and whenever it says he went somewhere, it always implies he's got a whole bunch of people with him, right? He had an entourage. He had a whole bunch of disciples. There were women that traveled with him all the time. And then he'd have whoever just wanted to hang, hang along for, for the ride right now. And so he and everybody else went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Oh, it actually says that there. I forgot that. Okay. But you're welcome. That was pretty much always the case. Unless it says Jesus went somewhere alone. It makes a point of saying that because that was unusual. Okay. Anyway, as he drew near to the gate of the town, so this is a pretty big town. It has a gate and a wall, right? We're talking like city. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out. It calls him a man, so he's more than 12. We don't know how old he is, though. Um, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So this was a really tragic event. This was very sad, someone taken far too young. Everybody is with her trying to console this widow uh, who has now lost her only son. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier or the, the stretcher that they're carrying the, the body on. He just touched the stretcher. He doesn't touch the body. Very interesting. He just touches the bier. And the bearers stopped moving. They stopped the procession. They stopped walking because this guy's talking, and it's not appropriate to do that in the middle of a funeral procession. And he's interrupting everybody, and he touches this thing. The bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. That doesn't usually happen. And he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And verse 16, and fear seized them all. I think this is probably good, the good kind of fear, like, what just happened? Fear seized them all, and they glorified God. That's the right response. Saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And the report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea, and the surrounding country. So on the surface, you can see that there's some parallel here, right? Between the story of Jesus healing this young man and Elisha eight centuries earlier, their famous town miracle. There's a lot of similarities here. But what's interesting to me is that there's a lot more contrasts than there are similarities. And I'm just going to walk through some of those. I'm sure there are some that I missed. So the Shunammite woman, this is back with Elisha, she raced to bring Elijah back. But Jesus himself came to the woman. Nobody asked him to do this. Nobody raced to find him. Nobody is demonstrating extraordinary faith to go get Jesus to raise this guy from the dead. Jesus himself takes the initiative to do this. That's actually pretty rare. We'll talk about that again in a second. Elisha seems reluctant to go and heal the kid, whereas Jesus 
again, he instigated this miracle. He's the one who wanted to do it. He wanted it to happen. Um, Elijah kind of stood at a distance from the woman. If you read the story in 2 Kings, he doesn't even talk to the mom. When, when, when the whole prayer thing and everything has happened, he doesn't even talk to her. Finally, when he can bring the boy to her, he talks to her, um, which is interesting, as opposed to Jesus, who talks right away to the mother, says, don't weep. And then he speaks to the man, the boy. Um, Elisha starts out trusting his staff. God had given him one of those cool holy staffs, right? So he, hope, he hoped his staff would do the trick and heal him. It didn't work. Um, and then he tried some other stuff. But Jesus just touches the coffin and speaks to the guy. That's it. There's no pageantry here. There's no, oh, Lord, heal this. You know, just like, hey, don't weep. Get up. That's it. Elijah used, well, I guess I just said this one. Elijah used a lot of effort to demonstrate sort of this miracle. It was very demonstrative. And Jesus simply speaks to the boy. <coughs> Excuse me. He doesn't pray to God to heal the boy. You see this. We see, we've taught on this before. He commands the boy, the man. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And this is almost always true with Jesus' miracles. And it's true with the disciples' miracles as well. You don't see long, drawn-out prayers, God, we beg you to heal this person. We see people saying, be healed. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, be healed. That's how they do the prayers uh, for healing in particular, but honestly for, for most of the miracles uh, in the New Testament. And that's all Jesus does, and it works, obviously. Elisha's miracle was dependent on prayer, as I just said. Jesus was only dependent on his own authority. God had given him the authority because Jesus was a servant. He came as a servant, right? He didn't come with his authority ready to do whatever he wanted. He came as a servant. God gave him that authority, and now he is fully exercising that authority that he had, that the Father gave to him. And then right before he leaves, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to famous TV preachers. No. I give it to you. Everybody, the same authority Jesus has to say, arise and have a dead guy get up, that exact same authority is yours. God's the one who does the work. Okay, don't get me wrong. God is 100% the one who does 100% of the work. But you have the authority to enact that work on earth. That's what we're for. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Um, so, so Jesus performed a similar miracle to what Elijah did, but there were a lot of differences. And, and clearly Jesus is his superior, right? The people didn't quite grasp that. They're like, a great prophet has arisen among us. Um, I think if they maybe had thought about it a little more, they're like, well, actually, this is kind of a bigger deal. This was, this was a big, big deal. Um, I, I like, well, I love this story for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that it really shows the sovereignty of God because of the things that it doesn't do. Um, one of the most obvious things about this is nobody asked for this miracle. In almost every miracle and healing that we see, someone asked for it. And if they didn't, Jesus helped them out by saying, what would you like me to do for you? Right? And now, why does he do that? Because faith accompanies miracles. Faith accompanies healing in almost every instance that we see in Scripture. And by someone, the simple act of saying, can you heal me, please? Or, Lord, heal me. I need you to heal my daughter. That simple act, that is a step of faith. 
You believe Jesus can do it, and then you take the step to ask him or to bring your kid to him or whatever it is, right? And so that activates faith. That's why Jesus does that. This time we don't see that. We don't see any evidence that the mom had faith for this to happen. The dead guy definitely didn't have faith because he's dead. The dead guy definitely didn't ask, heal me. You know, like, no, he was stone dead at the moment, right? So that's, that's unique. That's a very unique thing about this situation. This is a, one of the sovereign miracles of Jesus. He just, he saw a hurting woman and he had compassion on her and he said, well, I'm going to do this. This is the first person he raises from the dead. He had never done this before. Well, that's stated scripture. He had never done this, okay? And this is like alpha level miracle, right? Raising someone from the dead. I mean, that's, it doesn't get much cooler than that, I feel like. And he just does it as an act of his sovereign will. He wants to heal this, raise this guy from the dead for the sake of a mom. It's, it's very interesting how it's different than a lot of the others. Um, faith isn't present. Usually with, uh, with healing miracles in particular, there's touch and faith, some sort of laying out of hands and faith. And here you don't see the faith at all. And you do see the touch, but he doesn't touch the body. He touches like the stretcher, the coffin thing, which I think is interesting. I'm sure there's something there, but I haven't had time to mine that out. But I, I think it just shows even more how powerful God is. He doesn't have to do it any particular way. Elijah like laid his whole, his whole body out on, on, the, on the boy and like laid there on top of him. And then he got up and then he did it again. I mean, I, I don't know why he did that. That's what he felt like he should do. Um, and Jesus just touches the object that the guy's on. It's very interesting. So just the sovereignty of this miracle, I think, is really, really interesting. Jesus just had compassion on this woman. God's got a soft spot for moms, and he has a soft spot for widows and orphans. We see that again and again, right, in Scripture. Steve, could you, uh, Andrew, could you grab that mic? Run it that way real fast, the mic that's right there. Next time, do what Chris is doing now. Thank you. Steve. Oh, yeah, just see, is that correct? I mean, seems like he just, you know, hey, like, stop, guys, hold it. Yeah, which is weird. And I don't even know if that, I mean, I, I don't, is that even a part of the healing thing? It just, he just spoke to the guy and said, I, I speak to, I tell you to arise. Yeah. I mean, so he might not even have to touch the thing, right? Is that yeah, even I, a part of it? I, I don't know if it was a part it. of it. He touched it to get him to stop. Yeah. I agree. And so that, you're right, that touch might not have actually been connected to the miracle at all. It's it just, might have been like Lazarus later, where Jesus is a good distance away. There's no touch involved. And he just says, get up. It's so encouraging how it, it just says that he just saw her and he just was moved with compassion. He, he I saw mean, her, he, his even, heart was just broken, yeah. Yeah, maybe even if we're in a jam, you know, and we don't even call to him, you know. Yeah, I, that's a great point, Steve. You know, sometimes we're in trouble and we don't even think to call out to God for help. <laughs> and he still has compassion on us. Isn't that awesome? It's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I love this story. There's just so many great things about it. Um, and I like the sovereignty here. You know, God is God. He can do what he wants, right? He's in, he's in charge. And sometimes he chooses to do things. Sometimes we understand the reasons. Sometimes we do not. But that's who God is. He's sovereign. 
and the son's free will does not factor into this one bit. Right? I don't think the mom's free will factors into this one bit. But it, this is fairly unique, right? A unique display of the sovereignty of God. The only one acting in their free will was Jesus, who wanted to heal this boy. Okay, now keep that in your head, and we're going to skip down. Um, last time we talked about the messengers from John the Baptist that came and Jesus' response to that, which was so interesting. And then uh, I'm going to read, starting with verse 24, this is what happens right after that, okay? So John the Baptist, uh, Jesus has just sent off John's disciples with a message and a prophecy. And then in verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? Knowing that most of these people had gone out to see John and been baptized by him. A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Look, those who are dressed in soft and splendid clothing live in luxury and are in king's courts. Well, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, Matthew, others, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves not having been baptized by John. Uh, and then it continues, but I'll stop there. Okay, so, for, first I have to mention the beginning, uh, verse 24, 25. This is one of the great sarcastic jokes of Jesus. He has a number of them. But I think the crowd would have found this hilarious. Who did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Well, most of them had seen John, and he was anything but soft, right? He was a scary dude. We talked about that a little bit last week. He was a little odd. He was a little not normal. He wore like a horrible camel skin on his body. He ate locusts. I mean, the guy was unusual. And so when Jesus said, who did you go out to see? A man in soft clothing? They all laughed because that's hilarious. No, no, he is the opposite of that. And then Jesus gives this really clever little dig. He says, no, 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 people dressed in fine clothing are in the king's courts, the place where John the Baptist is currently held prisoner. So that's, that's an interesting little dig there, right? He's saying the ones who are fancy are the ones keeping John in prison. And that's not what you went out to see because that's not what God spoke through. Um, Jesus does get a, a few little digs here and there, um, which I think is hilarious because I like sarcastic humor. Okay, uh, and moving on. Um, and I also think maybe it was to relieve the tension a little bit. You can see these are like questions that people are answering. Did you go out to see this? They don't write the, no, right. Did you go out to do this? No, <laughs> no, that's crazy. You know, they don't write that part, but you can see the back and forth here. And the humor. Um, and I think part of that might have been to relieve the tension of the super awkward conversation everybody just saw when John the Baptist, who most of these people had been baptized by and liked, when he sends his people and says, are you even the one? Yeesh. 
And they saw that little exchange, and then the people left, and everybody's got to be like, so, yeah, we're stuck in this valley and can't get out. This is super awkward, right? So maybe that was a little bit of why Jesus was that very playful then. And I think it's interesting because Jesus could have been super stressed out, super mad, super shook. John the Baptist, his own cousin, the guy who prophesied he was the Lamb of God, the guy who baptized him, the guy who went before him to prepare a way, that guy had just come and publicly doubted Jesus. Jesus could have chosen to take offense at that, if you remember our sermon from last week. Jesus definitely could have chosen to take offense at that, right? He could have been a little miffed. He could have been a little not happy. But he is totally the opposite of all of that. This is really interesting. Instead, he's super playful and funny with the crowd. And then look at the things that he says about John. He could have condemned John for his lack of faith. Right? That would have been easy to do. Very easy to do. He could have even condemned him nicely, but still condemned him. You know what I mean? And he doesn't. He does the exact opposite of that. He says he's a prophet. Yes, and more than a prophet, Jesus says. And then he says, he fulfilled scripture, and he quotes Malachi 3. And then he says, John is the greatest man born of a woman. And how many men are born of women? Like all of them. And men there means men and women, everybody. He's the greatest person ever born, is what he's saying. But that born of woman thing, it's a, it's a little idiom. He's saying, under the old covenant. He's saying, John is the greatest person ever born under the old covenant, but I tell you, even the least in the kingdom of God, the new covenant is greater than John. So that's, that's the juxtaposition Jesus is putting here. So Jesus is saying, John is sort of the end of the old covenant, and it ended great. He's the best one, which is kind of surprising, right? I mean, Moses was kind of cool, wasn't he? Wasn't King David fairly neat and famous? Elijah, Elisha? I mean, those cats were pretty cool, right? There's a lot of examples, actually, that we could give of awesome people. Abraham? Noah? No. The crazy dude from the cave who eats bugs. He baptized you. He had a six-month ministry, if you look at it. He only ministered for six months. David was king for a bazillion years. Moses led the people for at least half a bazillion years. Right? No, six months. He had a six-month ministry, and Jesus said, greatest man ever born, right there. That guy who just doubted me publicly in front of all of you is the greatest man ever born, even though he just did that. You see the instant forgiveness, right? Jesus instantly forgave him. That is a huge misstep. Calling it a misstep is actually being super kind. He publicly, are you even the one? Yikes, can you imagine a pastor going to another famous pastor on live TV and calling him out like that? Yikes. Instant forgiveness. Instant. It's, 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 Jesus is not like us, okay? That's why we try to become more like him. Because all of our instincts would be to at least defend ourselves and take umbrage, right? And he's, no, he's the greatest man ever born. Amazing, totally, totally amazing. And by saying all these things, he's restoring God, uh, John's reputation in everyone's eyes. Because people could be like, oh no, John's fallen away. He's lost it. Oh, that's horrible. And she's like, no, no, no. 
He's forgiven. He'll be fine. And he's restoring John. More than a prophet. Greatest man ever born. He's Elijah come again. Um, amazing that Jesus would do that for the guy that just called him out. So how do you think he is towards you? Do you think he's really quick to condemn you when you screw up? I don't think he is. Steve. No, it's, it's good for the people watching at home. Okay. Um, oh, number one, I think it's so cool how that didn't shake Jesus' self-confidence. Yeah. I mean, this is his cousin. It should be fan number one. Mm -hmm. And the guy's throwing the doubts at him and didn't shake him. But, but the other thing is, you made such awesome points about, like, Moses and Noah and all. Do you think Jesus, um, was he saying he, because when he says he's the greatest man ever born of woman, he was born of woman himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't put him above himself, did right. he? No. And um, do you think, think he literally meant that, or is he just saying this guy's awesome? No, I think he's, he is saying he's the greatest. Wow. But the line in the sand is he's the greatest before me. Because John was born first, okay, six months-ish, before Jesus. And so right before Jesus, there's a line in the sand between this is the old and this is the new. This is the old covenant, the new covenant. This is what happened under the old Adam. Now is what happens under the new Adam, right? And so Jesus is making that juxtaposition of John is the greatest of the old. But even the lowest of the new is higher than John. And I don't think that's talking about, like, heavenly rank or something like that. Um, I think he's saying the New Covenant's way better, folks. Way, way better. Um, okay, uh, we, we looked at the sovereignty of God in this miracle that we looked at first, right? And now I want to look at the free will side of things. Verse 29 and 30, he's talking about how most of the people accepted this word and praised the Lord, but some, the lawyers and the Pharisees, rejected the purposes of God for themselves. So the Pharisees, or some of them at least, and lawyers who were there, the religious leadership, as an act of their will, rejected God's purposes for their lives. And so they didn't get the blessing that Jesus was trying to give. They didn't give the get the grace that God was giving out. And so this is one of those points in Scripture that, that shows pretty clearly that human beings have the free will to re reject God's purposes for our lives. And so... Does this mean God's not sovereign if we can reject him? No, nope, God is sovereign and we have free will. And this debate, by the way, sovereignty versus free will is about 500 years old. Um, and it's still happening today. It was really hotly debated among my Christian friends in college. Um, most people fall along one side or the other. Either God is sovereign, and that's what makes sense, and nothing else makes sense. Or humans have free will, and that's what makes sense, and nothing else makes sense. And the reason they do that is because that is logical. It's logical to be on one side or the other. The reason I like most of the theology of Martin Luther is because Martin Luther was cool with both. And everybody else is like, it can't be both, though, because it can't. And he's like, why not? God's mysterious. I don't claim to know everything about God and I don't claim to know how it all works. Sovereignty of God is clear in scripture. Predestination is clear in scripture. Free will is clear in scripture. They're both there. So the answer is yes. <laughs> and other people hated it. And eventually people fought wars over that idea. 
which is very sad. And so I agree with that. I'm, I'm a, yes, God is sovereign and we have free will. It's both. How does that work? Doesn't that contradict? I, I personally don't think it does, and I do not know how it works. Luther said the same thing about communion, by the way. Is this the body and blood of Christ, or is it bread and wine? And he said, yes. It is both of those things. Well, but how can it be both, though? It's got to be one or the other. He's like, why? Why can't it be both? God seems sort of mysterious to me. There's some stuff in here I don't get. And so uh, I, I like Luther because he's cool with mystery. He liked that, and I, I like it, too. Andrew. Exactly. God is three and he's also one. That doesn't make sense either. Very good example, Andrew. And there are plenty, right? God is mysterious. So it's not that logic is bad or that we shouldn't think logically. It's that uh, God's a lot bigger than we are, as Jesus proves time and time again. So, so the answer is, yes, it's free will. Yes, it's the sovereignty of God. It's both. And we see both right here in the same chapter, which I think is so interesting. God acts without anybody's free will, and he heals this boy. And then he says, and those people ruined it. These Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves. And so what that means is God offers grace to everybody all the time, right? And he's always, he's got purposes for everybody's life. But it is within our power, at least to some degree, to reject that, to say no to that, which, is, which should be startling and humbling and lead to the fear of God in your life. Because I don't want to say no to anything God has for me, Right? I know I, I didn't say no to his grace for salvation, but I don't want to say no to anything. And, and the Bible is very clear that God is unwilling that anyone should perish, but wants them all to have eternal life. Okay, we see that in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 3.9 and 1 Timothy 2.4. God wants everybody to be saved, but we also see from Revelation and other places that not everyone is. So how does that work? Well, he wants everyone to be saved, but he gives people the choice to accept him or not. Not the choice to choose God or not. I, I don't think we have the choice to choose God. I think we have the choice to say yes. That's about as far as that part goes. Because we, we're not saved through an act of our own will, right? We're saved through surrender. God puts his grace on us and we bow the knee and say yes. That to me, that's our only action in salvation, in that process, is we surrender. But we know, oh, my knees are getting old. We know that not everybody surrenders. And that's really sad, right? And the, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers here are among those. Like, nope, I'm not going to surrender to the grace of God. I'm going to reject his purposes for my life. And I think that's sad. So to answer a seven-hour question in 30 seconds, why did God give us free will at all? It's generally regarded as a bad move by a lot of folks, right? As a kid, I didn't, why did, why? It would be great if I didn't screw up all the time. Free will's problematic, right? I don't know about you, but I often choose the wrong thing. I choose the wrong response to my kids sometimes. And to, to make it a really, really short thing, God wanted to make a creation in his own image. And part of what it means to be in the image of God is to have the capacity to love, to truly love. But love is choice. You have to choose to love. You cannot be programmed to love. You cannot be forced to love. 
Love is a choice. To love, you have to have free will. And so in order to create a people in his image who could love in, the, in a mirror image of how he loves, he had to create us with free will. And he knew that that was going to be problematic. And so he compensates for that by helping us all the time. Right? So we don't have to come to the conclusion our own, on our own that Jesus is the way and become Christians. That's not how it works. He dumps grace on us until it's basically irresistible. We just have to bow the knee or not. And he does this for us all the time. And sometimes it's hard to choose to love, right? Sometimes it's hard to choose to love. And in those moments, God is willing to pour all his love into you, which is an infinite supply. And you can just say, OK, God, I'm having a hard time loving here. I just watched the news. That was a big mistake. And I'm having a hard time loving <laughs> any of these fill, it, fill in the blanks, right? And so we ask God, and God will do that. We exercise our free will. Say, Lord, I need more of your love. He'll fill us with the love, and now we have that love to give out. So God gave us free will, but he also rigged the game in our favor. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I, th I think that's wonderful. So, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't make the point of asking you, you know, do you accept Jesus' purposes for your life or not? I don't know if everyone here is saved, probably. But if not, I encourage you to surrender and to bow that knee before the Lord. And maybe you're saved, but God has plenty of other purposes for your life. He has gifts he wants to give you. He wants to put that crown on your head or make you realize that it's already there. And he wants you to step out and act like the prince or princess in the kingdom of God that he has called you to be. Are you rejecting the purposes of God in your life like they did? Or are you going to bow the knee and say, yes, Lord, I will do it. I'll do what it is you're calling me to do. I'll do what it is you're asking me to do, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it. And I think this happens to us all the time, because God is always offering us things. Sometimes we're too distracted to even notice. And so we reject the purposes of God for ourselves because we're not paying attention or don't bother to. Other times, we don't do it because it looks like a lot of work. Other times, we don't do it because we don't agree with it. Maybe like John the Baptist, we're taking offense at something Jesus is doing. Well, that, that's not Jesus. That's not my Jesus. I, I don't know what that means. I've heard people say it a lot. Well, that's not my Jesus. OK, but there's only one. So, so let's, let's just end in prayer. And I, and I encourage you to be brave and open up your heart and invite the Holy Spirit to take a look in there and to show you if there's anything in your life or in your heart that you are rejecting, something God purposes for you or wants to do in you, through you, give you, that maybe you have not surrendered to. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you gave us free will and then you cheat so that you give us all the answers and all the power to do it properly but we confess that sometimes we still don't. We confess that we are, by and large, not great stewards of that goodwill gift that you've given us, that free will gift. And we ask you, Lord, to show us, is there somewhere in our heart, is there anything that we're rejecting, anything we're saying no to that you're trying to give us, anything about who we are, our identity, that we are not willing to grasp onto and walk into? Is there any gift, calling, or purpose 
but you're offering to us that we, like those religious leaders of the day, are saying no to. We don't want to say no, we want to say yes. Let's just take a minute just to listen. God, we thank you that you act first, that we don't have to figure it out and find our way to you, that you come to us. You leave the 99 and come after that one. We praise you for that. We praise you that 100% of the credit for our salvation goes to you. We didn't do it on our own. It was by your grace that we were able to walk into faith. And we thank you for that. And we pray that that would be true in all areas of our life. That we would receive your grace to walk in by faith to what it is you've called us to do. To who you've called us to be. To the people around us that you have called us to bless. The people whose hands you've called us to take and help up to get back on their feet. The people that we vehemently disagree with that you've called us to make peace with and share your love with. We thank you that you are so different than us, from us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, and we ask you that you would help us to become more and more like you every day as we submit to your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to smile on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.